You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello, and welcome to another podcast in Trowers and Hamlins ESG Perspective podcast series. I'm Elias Mubarak, a partner in Trowers and Hamlins, and I lead the banking and finance team in Kuala Lumpur. I'm delighted to be joined today by Nicole Ong, a senior associate in our banking team, and Hello. by Moazam bin Mohammed and Azha Ismail, both with Permodalan National Berhad. PNB is, of course, one of the largest fund management companies in Malaysia with assets under management of about 322 billion ringgit as at the end of 2020. PNB's portfolio covers strategic investments in Malaysia's leading corporates, as well as global equities, private investments, real estate, and fixed income. Moazam is the head of the Investment Stewardship Division of PNB, overseeing strategic governance, ESG investments, and shareholder engagement teams, respectively. Now, the strategic fun- governance function focuses on improving investee board effectiveness, while the ESG investments function is spearheading the rollout and advocacy of PNB sustainability framework across the investment functions and portfolio companies, respectively. The shareholder engagement function covers transparency, advocacy, and collaboration with other institutional investors. Prior to this, Mazam was with the strategic investments team at PNB involved in M&A strategy and monitoring of PNB's key portfolio companies, as well as the development of PNB's stewardship framework. Azha is the head of sustainability and social investment at PNB and was one of the core project members during the PNB sustainability framework development process. He has over 27 years of financial and corporate experience and has built up extensive experience in corporate restructuring, corporate loan restructuring, merger and acquisition, value creation, risk management, environmental and social assessments. Prior to joining PNB, he was the VP, or Vice President of Simon Darby Group, and was responsible for overseeing the implementation of various sustainability initiatives within the group. He was also one of the project members implementing sustainability frameworks for the group in 2008. From 1992 to 2005, he was with Maybank, Malaysia's largest bank, and he was instrumental in setting up the bank's operational risk management credit operation audit and executing corporate loan restructurings during the 1997 Asian financial crisis. We're very excited to have Azha and Moazam on our podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise, pleasure to be here as well. Really, the pleasure is ours. And before we talk through PNB's ESG journey, um, which has been a very exciting one, I'd really love to hear a bit about your personal ESG journey, how, how you got involved in the ESG space and how that progressed. Maybe Moazam, we can start with you and then turn to Azha. Yeah, thanks Elias. Well, my journey in PMB so far has been around 15, 16 years. So throughout this journey, I've been working closely with our portfolio companies, namely uh, the companies that uh, we call strategic companies, companies that we own single largest or uh, more than 50%. So Basically, my journey uh, has been uh, quite interesting. In fact, that when we launched our stewardship framework, we also uh, developed a closer community between the companies itself. So even before I began this role, we, we've already set up a community amongst the sustainability heads of all the companies and we've been talking to each other ever since. 
And it was then when we developed uh, our framework and now we are here uh, beginning our journey with the 10 commitments that we launched. So that's very interesting. Thank you for talking through us, through that journey. Azza, how about you? Hi. How's your journey yeah. been? Yeah, sure. I'd love to share my uh, bit of experience in the uh, ESG space. Actually, I began my journey in sustainability way back 2008. That was when we had a big merger happening uh, amongst, uh, involving a Sime Derby Group. Uh, Golden Hope and Guthrie. So when the mega merger happens, one of the key issues that we are concerned about is actually sustainability. Why? Because the formation resulted in, a, uh, in us becoming the largest plantation company in the world. So the, the, we had a, a high expectations that we wanted to be 100% uh, sustainable uh, palm oil producers, and we are uh, putting actions into that. So the first thing that we did was in 2008, we come up with our own framework, how we can make Sime Derby Group the, the biggest sign that we then to become more sustainable in every way that it works, be it in the plantation, be it in the property sectors, industrial sectors as well. So we are looking closely into that and how we actually work together with, with our various vendors, our management and partners actually to actually deliver our objectives of becoming uh, the, the most benchmark for, for sustainability. Uh, that was my first involvement. And also in 2012, I had a very good engagement where we actually collaborated with Sir Jonathan Porritt, where we wanted to actually really deep dive into certain areas, uh, not to be very interested to actually to, to how we can improve our property development. So that when we develop a township, for example, we want to make sure that it has a balanced approach towards sustainability, that it is immersed with a reach of sustainability factors. That was, I think, uh, to, to give a short answer, yes, that was my actually my experience when it comes to ESNG. Thanks, Azhar. That's really inspiring and exciting to hear. I think both of you really have a wealth of experience to draw from and to contribute to PNB. As Elias has introduced PNB earlier, it's really one of the largest fund management companies in Malaysia and definitely a lot of people would be looking towards PNB and what you're doing and, and the fact that you are um, you know, now leading the ESG agenda, I think, speaks a lot. And I think it really inspires a lot of other companies too in Malaysia. So I know you have both shared a bit about your personal journey um, on what got you onto the track of ESG. But in a bigger picture, so how has PMB's ESG journey been so far? I think Moazza has touched a little bit about how you have actually built a community within PMB itself. Um, could, could you maybe share a bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, in terms of community, one of our stakeholders is our portfolio companies. So we've started with this sustainability subcommittee from the beginning to share each other's experiences even before we, we PMB launched its own. So uh, the main agenda for this was to capitalize on each other's experience and also on how the other portfolio companies can benefit from each other's uh, sustainability journey. So we've been having a few conversations on our own. And at the same time, uh, the companies have been very supportive in terms of uh, sharing their journey so far. And, uh, but I, I think in terms of PMB's journey as a whole, I think Azhar has some stories to share, you know, how we began uh, <laughs> close to 40 years ago. Yeah, actually, I just want to bring us back uh, to where uh, PMB was first established. Where it, uh, four years ago, uh, in March 1978, uh, PMB was established. And we have done a lot of things since then. Uh, if you were to fast forward today, uh, we are now become a family savings instruments formulations with more than about, I think, 16 units trust funds with more than 14 million accounts. And to date, uh, in 2021, our AUM stands at 337 billion ringgit. 
So mm-hmm. if you look at our journey, I think I can safely say that our journey started from the first day of our existence. And why so? Because uh, it is important to note that PMB, actually we were established with the social agenda in mind where PNB acted as key agent uh, of the new economic policy, the purpose of which is actually to rebalance the share of the country's wealth for more equitable distributions amongst its peoples, hence thereby delivering positive results in eliminating poverty, creating more middle income group and creating social stability. And I believe, I believe this, that we have been successful in becoming a social economic balancing instruments. So that is actually our, how we started our journey. And second or so, when we look at the strength of PNB itself, it is not accidental. It has been achieved to where it is now due to the ability of our management then, our chairman then, uh, to steadfastly holding on to tenets of integrity, good governance, and trust since we were launched. I think it is the integrity and reputation that has enabled PNB to achieve continuously mobilizing the savings of Malaysians. And again, this is not incidental. I think uh, I have to thank our first chairman, Don Ismail Ali, who was the hallmark for setting the benchmark of integrity and strong governance. I think that's my view of it. If I can add to that, um, basically, you know, speaking about the community among the companies that we invest in, over the years, we have been growing together with Malaysia as a country, having mm. invested in some of the big corporations that you see listed on uh, Bursa Malaysia today. So um, I think it's something that we are proud of. Uh, and as we fast forward to today, the challenges uh, are becoming you know, more towards how can we adapt to climate change and mitigate this, uh, the risks involved and the changing landscape around social issues, uh, diversity, equity, and as well as inequality. So um, we have been quite a mainstay or household name in Malaysia for some time, but now it's a case of how do we adapt to the challenges ahead. And I, I guess this is where uh, sustainability has been a major area and of key importance for PNB. Yeah, wow. Thank you again for all of that. That's really, that's really a lot to unpack there, actually. And I especially love what Asha said about how the success, what you have achieved so far, is not accidental, it's not incidental. It's something that's you know, you achieve it via integrity, via really like hard work and greed, and it's very intentional, right, to get to where you are at today. So uh, I think you also mentioned that your chairman has really been a driving force with all your ESG targets. So perhaps you could share more about really what are your your chairman, your stakeholders' um, expectations when, when it comes to ESG? Yep. Uh, basically, there are four key stakeholders uh, when we think about ESG, right? Um, number one are the regulators, uh, and also the government. And then secondly, our employees work hard every every day and to make sure that we generate returns. Uh, third, our of course, our unit holders, the people that believe in us and invest in our uh, funds. And lastly, um, the companies, portfolio companies which have grown together with PMB and the country as, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, looking at the government and regulators, you see a changing landscape where a lot of emphasis and aspirations are, are being pushed on ESG. And PMB, I can share with you that, you know, since the beginning of the year, ever since I took this role, we've been actively involved with um, the SC and Bursa in, in, uh, in providing our input in terms of the changing regulations. Uh, on our employees, you know, uh, we see common issues today, uh, not just for PMB, but uh, society as a whole in terms of living wage, uh, fair labor practices, as well as the importance of mental health, 
and you know uh, looking into our unit holders uh, one of the key things that we never forget is our mandate because our mandate to generate returns and enhance the wealth of uh, Malaysia as a, as a whole still remains and it's a question of how do we uh, amalgate ESG into this mandate which is uh, evergreen and fourth um, our investing companies who have been with us all these years and I think uh, one of the key things that, that uh, we would like to drive is not just on the returns or profitability, but also how these companies transition to a net zero world and a decarbonizing world. In terms of the driving factors, I'll pass it to Azhar to share what are the driving factors in terms of you know, how do we craft our own ESG agenda. Yeah, thanks Amazon for that. I think before that, I just want to share that even though that we have, we have been successful to date, I think what brought us today here will never be enough to carry us into the future. I think, uh, for example, we have a uh, systemic risk such as climate change, uh, changing landscape uh, when it comes to social issues, uh, be it in labor, equity, or diversity, or increasing uh, wealth inequality, or even evolving fiduciaries. And there are more ab about this, uh, and which means that we must not only address material energy, but also to capture opportunities that come along with it. And then uh, when we look back at what matters to us, uh, we feel that there are five factors that drive our ESG agenda. Firstly, we believe that uh, integrating ESG uh, into our investment operations systematically uh, will contribute to our ability to create more values over the long term, not just for us, but also for our unit holders. I think that's very important. Secondly, I think we are large enough and we are, have innate responsibility of being one of the largest uh, fund managers in Malaysia. And that, I think, requires us to play a leadership role in addressing a number of countries' systemic challenges, such as climate change and social issues. And the third factors that we can think of is that um, we believe that these challenges are not meant to be solved by one party. I think we have to collect, have a mm. collective actions, PMB and other peer, our peers or other stakeholders in terms of how we can then ready our efforts together, resources together in managing these new landscape changes with uh, regard to ESNG. And while at the same time, we believe that we must ourselves be talking, uh, we, we're walking the talk. We need to change ourselves before we can ask others to change. That's an, uh, and finally, I think we have to always remind ourselves that progress is more important than pursuing perfections. We can never be, be perfect in implementing ESG, but we want to improve it over time. So I think uh, these are the five key, I think, drivers that agenda that drives our ESG. Thank you for that. I think that those driving factors that you're describing, I think, are, start, are starting to impact the Malaysian ecosystem more and more. And I think we're seeing that ESG and sustainability ecosystem in Malaysia starting to develop. What you said there about pursuing progress rather than perfection really struck a note with me. I think a lot of people can feel sort of slightly deflated when they sort of look at the scale of the issues we're facing and, you know, how certain principles need to be implemented. And, you know, sort of looking at that scale of the challenge, they're a bit sort of deflated or, or, or unmotivated because they feel they can't achieve it. But as you say, implementation and making progress is taking the first steps are key and continuing that journey um, towards the objectives we need to achieve, I think is very important. I think as one of our earlier guests on this podcast series said, for that ESG journey to continue, for progress to be made, for the ESG strategy needs to be underpinned by a very committed governance structure within the relevant organization. Could you talk us through PNB's ESG governance structure? I think let's talk first about our own internal governance structure. 
I think with the completions of our assessment different, we have actually uh, came up with a, a, our own a governance structure. Firstly, we look at the board, which is the ultimate responsible uh, parties to, uh, to oversee and manage these ESG issues. The board uh, role has now been strengthened uh, with the inclusion of ESG as part of their fiduciary duty. That is very important to drive down messages across the companies and companies. And also, we also have actually uh, established a dedicated management committee which is now in operations. We have had our first meeting uh, this month, in fact. And this committee is very important to drive our ESG agenda and ensures the achievements of the 10 ESG commitments that we had announced early on in our, uh, when we launched our framework. And also, we had also uh, formed two divisions or departments managing this. One, under Moazam, which is investment stewardship, which we'll see through the implementation of our ESG across our investment concerns. And also within my response is actually the accessibility enterprise, which looks after internal improvements of our accessibility in PNB itself. I think also externally, I think it's about how we manage our investments. And on this, we are always guided by the stewardship framework and the playbook that help us to maneuver the appropriate courses of actions in us managing our investing companies. You mentioned the sustainability framework and sort of outlining 10 ESG commitments. I found that to be quite an interesting development, actually. And I'd be grateful if you could talk us through those 10 ESG commitments and that framework generally. We decided to formalize and uh, formulate our uh, sustainability approach to underscore uh, our commitment towards uh, a decarbonizing world. And basically, whilst doing that, our vision and mission underpinning you know, our, our role to generate returns and enhance economic wealth that remains evergreen or unchanged. So we developed our framework and, and have three key pillars. On the environmental side, we believe that we have a role to play in transitioning towards a green economy. On the social side, we want to promote equity and inclusion. And on the governance side, we want to advocate for sound governance practices. Uh, speaking about the environmental pillar, we have three big targets. And first one is how, as a company, uh, we can reach uh, net zero by 2025. And uh, we have started measuring our emissions and also uh, about to start uh, developing the path towards achieving that net zero target. And also, we are going to identify what are the levers that we can use in terms of uh, decarbonizing our own operations. On a slightly larger or a more larger scale is on the portfolio side. This is where we have crafted our net zero portfolio target by 2050. So we consciously split our net zero targets across one. On one side, we have the enterprise, which we believe we can achieve faster. But on our finance emissions, that's where we have put a 2050 target. And we feel that this is a complex exercise, but not impossible, particularly because based on our estimates, about 35% of our holdings generate uh, almost 90% of the emissions. So if we do our engagements right, our, our uh, strategy right, we would be able to focus on what are the material elements within this target and achieve our 2050 target. And uh, the third target under environmental is, of course, our 10 billion investments in green and transition assets. Um, that's a target that we have put upon ourselves um, as we identify assets you know, such as renewable energy, waste management, uh, biodiversity, uh, and whatnot. So we have put there as a hard target for us to gradually invest in this type of assets whilst maintaining our mandate to generate returns for our unit holders. 
I think moving on to the social side, I'll pass it to Azhar a little bit more. Within the social pillar, I think PNB aims to roll out a living wage policy by next year, 2023, as well as uh, pushing through a labor rights policy towards a paper towards the end of this year. That's the two social agenda that we wanted to, to launch this year and next year. Talking about the living wage principles, uh, we wanted to incorporate into it our compensation portfolio philosophy, as well as introducing the rights upskilling programs to improve basically the livelihood of our workforce. And also we wanted to strive for to provide equal opportunity for all our employees and make decisions on the sourcing and progressions based on merit. I think that's a very fundamental for us to move forward with our living wage policy. Now, in terms of gender equality, uh, as is now, PMB already has a good share of women in leadership roles. For example, more than 33% of our BNB board and more than 35% of PMB senior management are women. And if you look at the total workforce, uh, the, we have almost even at least 50-50 ratio between men and women overall. And we are committed to actually further improving the balance by reducing structural impediments for, to progression for women. And over the next few years, we aspire to achieve the 40% target. And further to that, our commitment of balancing profitability and social investment will continue and is largely supported by our CSF programs. We will continue our program to fund for the educations, which to date we had actually spent more than 360 million ringgit to sponsor more than 5,200 students since we launched the program in 1996. And all these are underpinned by the belief that education is the game changer in enabling social mobility. And also, we remain committed in channeling back our profits for various community programs to empower and uplift social being. So I, th- I think that's pretty much all we want to sum up about how we want to approach our social agenda. Yeah, within the governance uh, pillar, if I can share, um, governance has always been of uh, importance to PMB. In fact, even before we came up with our sustainability framework, governance has always been at the forefront, um, you know, governed by our strong um, structure and, and whatnot. Um, but within this pillar, we set out three key uh, commitments. Number one is uh, to uphold a triple bottom line stewardship model. So in the past, of course, we, we always spoke about returns, but now uh, it's more about people and planet as well. So that's a triple P model that we use. And we have clearly stated that within our stewardship framework. Within this, this uh, target, in terms of enhancing further our governance uh, across the portfolio companies, we uh, continue to enhance our uh, database of potential board candidates. As you may know, we do appoint uh, representatives on the boards of our portfolio companies. Secondly, we are developing a framework on assessing the effectiveness of uh, the board and our nominee directors. And third, we are also developing an assessment on uh, measuring the performance of the CEOs themselves as well. So that's in itself, uh, those are, three of the key initiatives that we, we underpin within uh, the governance uh, side. Uh, next, we've also committed to be transparent in terms of our voting. So uh, you may know that we have already started publishing our votes and we aim to publish our general meeting votes ahead of time, even before the meeting itself, just so that it gives the opportunity for uh, the companies to engage us, you know, if they are concerned with the way that we will vote. It, and some companies, they may want to engage us more on several matters, and which is why we, we have committed to publish our voting pattern on uh, our website. And further to that, we've also stated some of the reasoning on how we vote. 
So some of the votes that we push and in terms of when we abstain or we vote against, those are the two particular ones that we actually highlight the reasoning behind uh, that vote itself so as to increase transparency even more. And the third commitment within the governance space is, of course, to disclose our efforts and our journey in this area, which is why we are committed to, uh, as close as possible, to have a TCFD-based uh, disclosure. And we aim to start sharing our journey starting next year. Wow, thanks, Moazam. Thanks, Azhar. That's really a lot of commitments that PMB has, you know, trying to achieve in the next 20, 30 years, which is really inspiring. I'm especially heartening to hear that you aim <laughs> to have a higher, higher percentage of women, yeah. <laughs> higher percentage of women in the decision making role. Um, not saying that as a woman, but you know, very encouraged <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> And I think the both of you have mentioned a couple of times during this podcast about the stewardship framework. Um, could you maybe tell us a little more about it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we launched the framework back in 2020 as mm-hmm. part of, first of all, was our strategic plan that spanned 2020 to 2022. In fact, by the end of this year, we are reviewing it and charting our path for the next few years. So within the focus for one of it was value creation which forms the focus of how do we want to calculate this new aim of pushing our portfolio companies further. So under this ambit is where we develop the strategic framework uh, as part of an outward-looking one where companies can, have, can refer to. And we have set out four key philosophies. Number one, we aim to be a long-term steward. Secondly, we want to be an investor that is engaged. And third, as I mentioned earlier, we want to be a triple bottom line focus investor. And last but not least, we also want to be value adding in terms of helping out where we can, sharing knowledge and experiences across the portfolio companies. So within these key philosophies, we drill down to four specific areas, such as number one, we would like the companies to set performance expectations, link it back to remuneration. Secondly, we want our portfolio companies to always instill best practices in terms of governance. And number three, we envision companies to focus uh, on organizational health as well in terms of having sufficient talent bench internally to be able to generate sustainable returns. And last but not least, PMB as a, as a major shareholder in, in these companies, we want to be value adding itself. So we want to inculcate that community where uh, we can have knowledge sharing sessions among the uh, companies. At the same time, some of the specific areas of concern we may need to flow it back to the regulators or any relevant government bodies. So um, all in all, these are the four big areas under the, the stewardship framework. So when we launched our sustainability framework, stewardship forms a big part of it, actually. Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially you know from how you've shared about the, the four focuses, can really see how you're thinking long-term, thinking about really engaging them and creating a dialogue already if you're in investing companies, right? Giving them a, a voice at the table, so to speak. It's really good to hear. So we have really covered quite a number of breadth of commitments and challenges in, in relation to this ESG agenda. In terms of the Malaysia ecosystem itself, the Malaysia market, what would you see as perhaps the greater challenges that you'd face when it comes to developing and implementing your ESG targets? Maybe uh, maybe I can uh, try to answer this one, Mozam. I think when it comes to policy, especially at the governmental level, I think it is very important for us to understand that uh, it's not just about policies, but more importantly, it's also about how these policies can address different challenges, requirements, and ability for uh, for the many stakeholders to conform 
to the ESG policies. Uh, case in point, let's talk, for example, the government aspirations to actually to, to become a carbon a net zero uh, as a country by 2050. It is very inspirational and actually is very ambitious targets. But in reality, for example, some of those implementation requires also support and cooperation from the state. As we know, for example, uh, matters that uh, relate to land are within the state's jurisdiction. While, for example, the federal is setting up this, uh, the target when it comes to environment, for example, that a set goal actually requires for the state to also equally support, meaning they will be committing to in terms of how they will not be cutting down the trees anymore and how they can mm-hmm. actually support the, 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 the government to, actually to, to, to replant trees. And this is very crucial so that it can harmonize the water policies that the government, the federal government is coming out with, actually being supported. And in this case, I think it's very important to come up with a policies or framework that incentivize back the state. How do I make the states from not cutting down trees? How do then I incentivize the states that use as timber as one of their main income? So that with the right incentives, for example, they will then decide, okay, I can see value why I should conform to the policies. I think that's very important. I think this relates back to, I think, for example, the carbon market that the government is trying to create. I think this way, for example, if we work together, the policy towards net zero, for example, we can have the right support from the state by creating right incentive through the carbon market. Meaning, if we can actually gazette certain areas of land as a forest reserve and we maintain it and we incentivize the state by way of carbon market, I think it might work. But a deep thinking has been done and we have to really uh, understand the crux of, of the issues. I think that's about the environment. We look back on the social issue. I think it is also important that how the policies that government wanted to introduce would address varying needs and facades of Malaysians, be it from individuals, companies, NGOs, etc. For example, when you look at COVID-19, COVID-19 has resulted in widening of the wealth gap. And this has been made worse with inflationary pressures that we're seeing now, coming from food shortage, coming from increase in energy prices, et cetera. So I think this way the government has to just shift in mind and look at how can they actually issue a policies that will address these uh, social issues. And at the same time, I think a little bit of problems that we nations are facing. And lastly, you want to talk about uh, the policy that relates to governance. I think on this, I want to touch a bit more on how Malaysia can create value from the voluntary carbon market or carbon tax. I think this, uh, uh, we need to, to carefully think through on how we can actually, government actually come up with a, a right policy so that we can ensure practical and equitable access to the carbon market. And also it is important that uh, how the initiative would then uh, benefit the nation in terms of ESG and add value to Malaysia as whole. Well. I think these are three aspects that I think it requires a specific attention of the government. Yeah, I think that would resonate with people across a number of jurisdictions in ASEAN and, and other parts of the world, because I think there is that inherent tension sometimes between environmental goals and social goals. You know, you mentioned sort of cutting down forests to generate revenue. And, you know, I guess in an ideal world, that revenue would then be applied towards alleviating certain social issues. But then those social issues are then exacerbated by the degradation in the environment that's caused by people trying to make money to address it. So it's that tension um, and trying to find the the right path and the right balance between addressing the two and looking at things holistically, which I think is being faced by in Malaysia as far as I'm aware and and across a number of other jurisdictions. 
And I think you're right, Maza. I think that we need regulators, we need government, we need market players to all come together and just push in the same direction to create that ecosystem and that critical mass, I think, that, that gets us towards where we, where we need to get to. Now, I think a lot of these challenges can seem very daunting um, and they can seem, you know, very overwhelming. But um, I think that, so I think it's quite important to have inspirational stories or inspirational events um, to mind that, you know, that, that we can draw upon uh, when, we, when we need to. So for me, I think so PNB's journey, for example, and being, uh, and so PNB sort of inspiring other participants in the Malaysian market. And in fact, other countries where PNB invests in to develop an ESG framework or to, to take steps along their ESG journey. To me, that is inspiring. I wonder what I could ask you, Mwazam and, and Azhar, whether there's any particular event, circumstance, story, book, person, could be anything that you find inspiring and that, that you look to when you're, when you're struggling under these challenges that you've just described. Yeah, uh, the thing about ESG, right? The more you, the more you read, the more you realize you don't know, uh, <laughs> and it's it's a continually evolving topic. But for me, if I can speak in a more broader sense, in terms of Malaysia, um, I think Malaysia's story in itself is quite inspiring, and particularly because uh, you know, um, PNB as as an institution, we 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 have been in constant communication with our peers, so with EPF and Kazana, Coop, we've been talking to each other a lot more, um, and and particularly on the issue of sustainability. And I think us coming together is in itself inspirational, particularly because I think institutions such as us we have a big role to play. And and I think it all starts from the top. You know, we we inculcate and and push our portfolio companies to not just think about. Uh, ESG as a box ticking exercise or compliance exercise, but also how do you create value and how do you become more sustainable in terms of your business model going forward, right? So I think the tone from the top has been inspiring so far. Everybody has been speaking the same language and you've seen, uh, you know, EPF launching their framework uh, in March and then April it was us and then May it was Kazana and, you know, all three of us and of, of course, uh, Quap as well, we constantly pushing and thinking about new ways on how we can uh, collaborate in this area. So uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting journey ahead, I, I can tell you, because we've been... Yes, definitely. You know, yeah. Yep. yeah, absolutely right. I think just to add what Tomazo had said just now, I think all the message that he sent out just now, see, it resonates back to our guiding principle where we are we alone uh, cannot do this this. We need, uh, we need uh, to collaborate with various stakeholders and partners. Uh, while Muazam has mentioned about uh, our collaboration with uh, our peers, Kazana, Coop, EPF, etc., I think we need more. I think we need to rally all the various stakeholders together. For one, for example, uh, now we have a CEO Action Network, which rallying together many industries and sectors within Malaysia in driving an ESG agenda, not be in, in, in how we can together manage the climate change. I think these are very good and inspirational, uh, I would say, platform for us to move forward and then to come together and act as one, actually, to move forward with the climate change agenda. I think we need more of this, actually. And I think uh, apart from collaborating, we, we are also learning uh, from each other's experiences. And I think PMB being new in this journey, uh, one of the things that we look at is also to engage you know, our advisors, 
external fund managers and you know to learn from uh, each other and so far i think uh, this this whole spirit of togetherness and and commitment towards sustainability is also inspiring i think Absolutely and I think on that inspiring note I'd like to say Moazam as a thank you so much again for making the time to speak with us yeah, it's been an you. absolute pleasure and a privilege to have you guys on this podcast series Likewise thank you so much Elias You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins Find us at trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at @trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram